The first lesson comes to us from the book of Psalms. The writer implores us to know the story of our ancestors. Notice that we are to remember both the glorious work of the God that they have told to us, as well as the dark sayings they have shared with us, both faithfulness of their example and the error of their ways. Listen to the word of God as it comes to us from Psalm 78, verses 1 through 8. I give, give ear, O my people, to my teaching. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings from of old, things that we have heard and known that our ancestors have told us. We will not hide them from their children. We will tell to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders that he has done. He established a decree in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our ancestors to teach to their children that the next generation might know them, the children yet unborn, the rise, and rise up and tell them to their children, so that they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments, and that they should not be like their ancestors, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation whose heart was not steadfast, whose spirit was not faithful to God. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Listen again to the word of God as it comes to us from the letter to the Hebrews, portions of chapter 11 and the beginning of chapter 12. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to set out for a place he was to receive as an inheritance, and he set out not knowing where he was going. By faith, for, he stayed for a time in the land he had been promised, as in a foreign land, living in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. By faith, Moses when he was grown, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to share ill treatment with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. By faith, the people passed through the Red Sea as if it were dry land. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell after they'd been encircled for seven days. And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith 
conquered kingdoms, administered justice, obtained promises, shut the mouths of lions, quenched raging fire, escaped the edge of the sword, won strength out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Others, others suffered mocking and flogging, chains and imprisonment. They were stoned to death. They were sawn in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, persecuted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. Therefore, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every, every weight and the sin that clings so closely and let us run with perseverance the race that is set before us looking to Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, who for the sake of the joy that was set before him endured the cross, disregarding its shame, and has taken his seat at the right hand of the throne of God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Will you pray with me? Oh God, open our hearts to feel the presence of your saints surrounding us even now, and open us to your living word that we might take up their mantle and follow you. And may all God's people say, Amen. It is no accident that today on Halloween, we also celebrate all saints, just as we celebrate Christmas on Christmas Eve. Pittsburgh Seminary Professor Stephen Toole explains it this way. Originally a Celtic celebration, so on, it was a night when the borders between this world and the next became particularly thin, a thin place, so that the unquiet dead could cross over and taunt the living. <laughs> Food offerings, lamps, and even, forgive me, the severed heads of enemies, grimly recalled perhaps by jack-o'-lanterns, they were set out to turn aside ghosts. When the Celts became Christians, this night was transformed. It was transformed into the realization that Jesus Christ had triumphed over death and hell and the grave. Therefore, death and the dead no longer needed to be feared, Tool says. It is fitting that Halloween has become a time then of laughter and joy. I couldn't agree more. Today 
in the life of the church, we do not fear the dead, but we honor them. On All Saints Day, we remember so dearly those whose faithful lives have blessed us, those who have passed from this life to the next. As Jessica said so beautifully today, our saints are everywhere, in every ordinary corner of our lives. And it is right to mourn our losses and also to give thanks for them. And as Scott so beautifully sang, these are the people who for a moment or a lifetime traveled with us on this journey of life, held us in their arms, laughed and cried with us, and above all, shared their love with us so well. So how? How do we best honor the lives of our saints? As our first reading from the Psalms reminds us, one of the most important ways we honor them is to remember what we learned from them. Things that we have heard and known that our ancestors have told us. The teachings of old. The wonders God has done. And, and more than that, it is our sacred duty not to hoard these lessons for ourselves, but to pass them on to the next generation. Even generations yet unborn, so that they might set their hope in God as well. It's easy for us to forget in the midst of our daily lives that we indeed are the sacred vessels of the wisdom that has passed from one generation to the next, hard-won wisdom, wisdom about how to live, wisdom about what matters most and what really doesn't. Wisdom about how love in the end prevails. And lest we be too starry-eyed about our ancestors and saints, the, the psalm reminds us that we are vessels, too, of what our ancestors learned through their mistakes. We should tell the coming generation what ways they, quote, should not be like their ancestors. Things like stubborn and rebellious, their hearts not steadfast, their spirits not faithful to God. For no one is perfect, not even the saints. And if we do not learn from the sting of their errors, then we will have squandered their pain. And our second lesson echoes that as well. 
the tribute from the letter to the Hebrews reminds us of how our faith is not created on our own by ourselves, but in many ways is a gift from those who came before us. The deep courage of Abraham and Sarah to trust God, not knowing where they were going, the powerful humility of Moses to set down his privilege so that other people, his people, could be saved. The audacious faith of David to move from shepherding to kingship, the profound sacrifice of the prophets to speak truth to power, even at the cost of persecution and torment and death. It is cumulative, this gift of faith we have received. Was any one of them perfect? Hardly. Abraham tried to save his own life by giving his wife to Pharaoh. Sarah sent her servant Hagar in, and her son into the desert to starve. Moses, in his rage, hurled the Ten Commandments to the ground to shatter. David committed adultery and then had his concubine's husband murdered. And the list goes on. We learn from them. And it's so crucial that we learn both from their faith and also from their errors so that the next generation might be stronger still. And it is not just from the ancient saints whom we learn. I was privileged last month to attend with Terry Glennon the funeral for Paul Ilger, the father of our beloved Sarah, now operations manager. Paul died far too young, but his life was hardly lived in vain. He was a loving husband and father, a mentor and teacher, a problem solver, a truth teller, someone his daughter says, who was always faithful to comfort immediately after hard truth was delivered. And while it wasn't his whole truth by any stretch, he wasn't perfect. In his daughter Laura's words, Paul's lost and rebellious heart caught up with him. He was young then, his children very young. He had committed a crime. He turned himself in and spent the next four years separated from his family, serving a sentence in prison. But this is the most remarkable part. She says, oddly enough, this is where our story takes the greatest shift and starts getting really good because it was in a monastery in Big Sur in April of 1988, riddled with fear and anxiety over the reality and consequences of his failures, that Paul made his true greatest love and came to his decades 
long search for meeting and identity in Jesus Christ. In that mountain monastery, Paul entrusted his heart to Jesus, and he never looked back. But that wasn't the end of it. It was only the beginning. It was in prison. In those torturous years spent away from his young family, it was in prison that Paul's new life began to take shape. His daughter says he made friends across the rigid racial lines in prison infrastructure. He humbly used his gift for teaching and his handy Spanish to share the truth of the gospel with gang members and murderers and the marginalized rejects of society. Paul found himself an enemy of the Aryan Nation gang, targeting him for uniting inmates in the peace of Christ. As children, Laura says, he told us of a night in which he slept with a Bible guarding his chest while two rival gang members guarded his bed as he slept. When Paul came home, it was not all sweetness and light, but the love of God healed and his marriage and family were knit back together again. And with his blue eyes full of conviction and light, Laura said, he would teach his children about how Jesus loved everyone with a kind of love that makes dead people alive. And that Jesus turned no one away, even little kids like us. And as we watched our big bearded hero, she says, our big bearded hero give his shoes to a homeless man and wrap up large boxes full of essentials for those in need at Christmas and forgive us when we screwed up and passed up no opportunity to love those who no one else noticed, we saw a living, breathing picture of what Jesus can do. What Jesus can do in us and through us even with our flawed and broken and imperfect selves. Our saints, our saints are never perfect. And that is just the point. And I am convinced that even the ghosts of the past who were not made whole can be transformed still through the grace of God and through our very lives. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight 
and the sin that clings so closely. And let us run with perseverance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, who, for the sake of the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, disregarding its shame, and has taken his seat at the right hand of the throne of God. <laughs> 